today's message is going to fit right in with that whole idea of, of reaching out, of getting outside of ourselves. As a matter of fact, if you turn with me to Romans chapter 11, and we're going to look from verse 11 to verse 24, Paul is going to now speak to the Gentile people. Um, we've been telling you all along in chapters 9, 10, and 11, he has been speaking to the nation of Israel. In chapter 9, he has spoke to Israel's past. In chapter 10, he was affecting the people, the Jews that were there in Rome right now in the present time. And now he is going to speak to Israel's future. And what he is going to remind them and us over and over again, as we recognized in verse 1, and we will see again in verse 11, that he is not through with Israel. In fact, he uses the strongest negative term he could possibly use. He says, may it never be. In, in other words, it is an impossibility. But what Paul does, if you'll note in verses, uh, I think verse 13 and 14, let's take a look at chapter 11. Kind of excited about this message because it's to us, but it's a very stern warning. It's a, it's a warning of trying to live our lives in obedient and learning from others' mistakes. And what he is going to explain to us as Gentiles is that he has given an order long ago to Israel, to the nation of Israel, through Abram. When he asked Abram to leave, way back in Genesis chapter 12, leave his parents and go off and he would make them another nation. And, and that nation was going to be his chosen people, God's chosen people, Israel. And he told Abram in chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 3, I want you to go and bless all the people, all the nations, you, Abram, and your descendants. In other words, all of them that came after him were to be a blessing to all the people on this earth to tell the people of the earth the wonders of the God of Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And, and so they failed on that mission. And so God is warning us as Gentiles, as you're going to read with me in a moment, don't be arrogant. Don't think because I have given to you what was originally given to the nation of Israel, this great salvation. He said, don't be arrogant. You too should be forewarned that he has asked us to go out into the world and to, well, he uses a very wonderful phrase, Paul does, given to him by God. He says, I want you to make them jealous, jealous of your faith. When I came about that, and I'm way ahead in my message right now, but when I came about that in my, in my study this week, I stopped. I stopped dead track in, in what I was doing and in, 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 in trying to make this message, and I thought... Do I make people jealous of my walk with Jesus Christ? Am I living in such a fashion that other people want to become or at least want to love the Lord that I love? It's a warning that, that He has given to you and to me. We're reminded over and over again in chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the faithfulness, the integrity, the honesty, the truthfulness of our God. It's important for us to understand that, Paul says. So 
we will know that whatever God promises to Israel, he will see it through. But not only Israel, but to us as well. You can rest assured what God promises, he will make happen. Now, we mentioned last week, and I think it bears to say again, just to, just to make it kind of set in your heart of hearts. There are two promises of God. One is conditional. That promise means if you are obedient, he will do thus, thus and thus. And so, and so he is saying, you are to be obedient and I will keep my promise. But there is also a promise from God that is unconditional. That means that it is grounded solely upon his wonderful grace, his unmerited favor that he pours out upon you and me. His faithfulness to his promises are they're, they're, they're not dependent upon our obedience. They're upon his faithfulness. And so we learn through chapter 11 so far, verses 1 to 11, that God's not through with Israel yet. He has great plans for them, but as is going to be mentioned today, he's got great plans for you and me as well. He's got great plans for all of us whom he is eager to use and to bless in our lives. Now, if we looked, at, as I mentioned to you in, in chapter 11, verses 13, 14, he says, I'm speaking to you as Gentiles. I'm going to read all of this in a moment, but just this so that you'll, you'll understand that this is to us. This, this is a, a statement to us as Gentiles. A few weeks ago, in fact, maybe now a month or so ago, I asked if there were any in, in any of the three services that we have of, of uh, Jews who... Um, who have converted to Christianity and who are attending our church, and there was none. There was nobody in any of the three services. And so I'm assuming that most of us here are, are Gentiles. And so he is saying, verse 13, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if somehow I, Paul says, might move to jealousy, jealousy my fellow countrymen, people of Israel, and save some of them. Well, I, I stopped dead in my tracks. And I was thinking, if I said nothing at all, would people know that there's a difference in my life? If, if just by my actions and just by the way I live... I can honestly say, as I look across this room, some of you I know better than others. Some of you I get to hang around with. There's no doubt in my, in my heart of hearts that some of you, whether you say a word or not, you represent Christ so beautifully. At least you do to me. And, and I thank God for that for you. And I thank God that, that you do that. And I pray that all of us do. And so in this section of Scripture that we're going to read today, God is speaking to us as Gentiles, and His purpose for us is to make the Jews and everyone that we come in contact with jealous of our faith, jealous that they would love to know and have the peace and the joy that we have. Read with me, please. Romans chapter 11 from verses 11 to verse 24. Paul says, before we read that, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I meant to say this. He is reiterating what he said in verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? He uses that statement, may it never be. 
says, I too am an Israelite. Verse 11 now we will read, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Again he says, may it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I will magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will be their acceptance but life from the dead? And if the first piece of dough be holy, the lump is also. And if the root be holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and become partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are arrogant, remember, it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in? That's quite right, Paul says. They were broken off for their unbelief. You stand by your faith. Therefore, do not be conceited, but fear. That word fear means to respect and to love. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Behold then the kindness and the severity of God. To those who fell, severity. But to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what, what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more shall these, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Now I know that's a lot of stuff. I get it. Let me try to make some sense of it. The root and the dough and the lump of dough that has been spoken of in, in, in the start of this in verse 16 is talking about Christ. He is holy, so therefore the root or the lump is holy, the, the dough is holy. When he speaks of, uh, for instance, let me go to my note here and uh, get it for sure. Where do I have it? Ah, the branches are Israel. The wild olive branch are the Gentiles. And so it all has, it's basically like a, 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 a semi, although it's not mentioned as a parable. It's, it's almost like a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And we'll make sense of it in a moment. I just want you to know that from verse 16 to verse 24 is a, is a warning. And the warning is, look, the Lord Jesus Christ is the root. He is the lump of the dough. He is holy. 
the branches were Israel. They were broken off. You, Gentiles, were wild olive branches, and you were grafted into this, this olive tree. And because you were grafted in, you received the blessings. But don't think, he says, that you became, being grafted in are, are, are so secure that you can be flippant about your faith. Be cautious, he is saying. Now, I want to say this up front, and I'll say it again. There is no way the Bible does not give any evidence that you or I can lose our salvation. That is an impossibility. You come to Christ, you are kept by Christ until he delivers you to heaven itself. So he's not talking about us losing our salvation, but he is talking about our losing our blessings and I, I, I want to explain that to you so desperately. So let's please pray. I, I've gotten way in over my head right now. I can tell. I can see it in your eyes. You've, you've all just glazed over and started thinking, what's for dinner? And <laughs> let's, let's get back to the Word. Let me get out of this. Father, please, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold absolutely wonderful things that comes from your law, your written Word. Would you, Father, bless us uh, as we study and learn and, and, and let this be a warning that, Father, we take to heart that we become the people that you've called us to become, unlike Israel, that, that wouldn't follow up on their, on their call to reach the world for the cause of Christ, that we would not, we would not fall short on that mission. And so we thank you for those that went to, uh, to s- central L.A. and to do what needed to be done on the Thanksgiving time and and reaching people for the cause of Christ. And, and, and Father, I pray that that would have been a re- really great blessing for many people. And now, Father God, would you move me aside? I've already uh, kind of confused some things, so let me not do that anymore. Let me just uh, open up my heart to speak what you have taught me. Uh, allow it to flow, Father, from me to the people through your heart, not mine. Teach us, Lord. Bless us, Father. I pray this in Jesus' most precious, precious name. Amen. As we've already mentioned, verse 1 and 11 are very, are very key. Paul uses the strongest negative of God's word in defense of Israel. He says, may it never be. That, that word in the Greek is M-E-G-E-N-O-I-T-O. It means it is an impossibility. It can't happen. May it never be. In verses 1 and 11, Paul assures us that that, that, that God has not rejected his chosen people and God would not renege on his promises to Israel or to us for that matter. We are just as secure. Remember when Elijah went to the Lord and this is in chapter 11 verse 3, the last part of verse 3 and verse 4. And Elijah went to the Lord and he says, I alone am left. I am doing battle against the prophets of Baal, and they're seeking to take my life. And the Lord says to Elijah in verse 4, you're not alone, not at all. I have kept, the Lord said to him, 7,000 men who know nothing about, who you know nothing about, Elijah, who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And I said last week, and I want to say it again because I think it's critical. 
You need to know that when you feel like you're all alone, you are not alone either. That God has many more like you who are also fighting the good fight. So, so I beg of you, hang in there. It's one of the main points of church. This is the reason, one of the main purposes of us gathering together. In fact, I want to show this to you. I didn't mention this, I don't believe, last week. Turn with me real quickly. Hold your place here and turn to the right just a few pages. You're going to go past uh, uh, First and Second Corinthians and you'll come to Galatians and look at Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to talk to you about the purpose of church. Why we gather together. What is so important about you and me coming together like this and you sitting there. We, we, we worship the Lord through music. We worship the Lord through our, our, our offering to Him this morning. Whatever that was that you gave unto the Lord is an offering of, of thankfulness for what He has given to you financially. You give back to Him. And now we worship Him through the study of His Word. But there's a purpose in this. There's a purpose in what we do and how we do it. It says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11, God gave some as apostles, and He gave some as prophets, and He gave some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And for what reason? He gave these people to initiate, to start the church, and then from there, the pastors and teachers and the evangelists were to move forward and take the church to the world. And so we have the church, and its essence is the, the apostles and the prophets. That's what we, we study the Word for. We study what the apostles gave us as the Word of God. And why do we do that? Well, verse 12 tells us, so that we would equip the saints for the work of service. In other words, to get outside of ourselves and do what God has called us to do. To the building up of the body of Christ. That's the purpose of our gathering together. For how long? Until, verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God so that we would grow into a mature person to the, measure of, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so we study the Bible as we do here from, for this half an hour or 40 minutes. We study the Bible together so as to grow, to mature, to become all the person of God that you and I are to become. And we we use each other in, in the gifts that God has given us to help us grow in our faith. As a result, verse 14 of, of Ephesians chapter 4, as a result of this growing into maturity, we will no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. In other words, we won't be we won't be enticed by other quote-unquote religious beliefs or wonder, am I thinking, am I believing the, the real thing? Should I, should I find something more? Should I do something more? No. Paul is saying we have all that we need right here, and when we come in the fullness of Christ, we will not any longer be tossed here and there by all sorts of waves of different doctrines. We will rather, verse 15, speak the truth in love. That's what I try to do to you every single 
moment I am with you. So that we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, Christ. That is the purpose of this church. This church will never falter in that as long as I'm here. And I I don't believe it will ever falter as long as you all are here. We do not want to build a church upon any person. We want to build the church upon our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is, that is the essence of why you and I gather together, to, to, to become like Christ and to magnify Him in, the, in our midst. It says, though, verse 16, from whom the whole body, that's all of us, are being fitted and held together by that which, note, really important, every joint supplies, that's you, me, every single one of us supplies something to our growth. Look what it says. According to the proper working of each individual part. We all have a part in this. Your part in, in, in this church is critical. Whether you believe it, know it or not. Without you, we're not as strong as we ought to be. We need each of us to have a part. This causes... Verse, the end of verse 16, the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So that's the purpose of a church. That's the reason when Elijah said, God, I'm all alone. And the Lord says, oh, no, you're not. I've got 7,000 that you don't even know of. Let's go back to Romans chapter 11. He says, I have 7,000 people who have not bowed their knee to any idol So the Lord God said in chapter 10, verse 21, All day long I have been stretching out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. It's talking about Israel. He's been patient. He's been kind. But their consistent disobedience, Israel's. Therefore, God gave to the Gentile world the very salvation that was originally given to the Jews. And why? Why did he give you and me salvation? Pure and simple. To make them jealous. To make them jealous. You have salvation so as to make other people jealous of your faith. Although salvation to the Gentiles came about because Israel refused to do as they were asked to do. Nonetheless, God's grace to the Gentiles was not an afterthought. I've already explained to you, out of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he told Abram, I want you to go and I want you to bless all the families of the earth. All of them. You are to reach into the Gentile world, Abram. And in the midst of Israel's disobedience, they did not do that. As a matter of fact, they became arrogant. They became elitists. They felt that the Gentiles were like dogs. They didn't even have anything to do with the Gentiles. And in the midst of their disobedience, not fulfilling their call, God has not, therefore, allowed His chosen people to be blessed, but they are not unsalvageable. He is indeed, as we learned last week, chapter 11, verse 8, they have a spirit of stupor, they have eyes to see not and ears to hear not. 
So for a, a divine point of time, a, di- a divine amount of time, God has given Israel their heart's desire. And their heart's desire is to be disobedient. He's given them that. Allowing them to wander about in a stupor, in a spiritual blindness and deafness. Yet, their stupor is not irreversible. It was never to be permanent. You see, the severe stumbling of of which Paul speaks of, of Israel, is their rejection of their Messiah, Jesus Christ. But Israel's rejection of Jesus Christ did not thwart God's plan. On the contrary. And this is so important. Listen to it because it's, it matters to you and it matters to me what happened to Israel. We learned by their mistakes. I, I was taught long time ago as an athlete that I was to watch those that did great and I was to watch those that did not so good and not to emulate those that do not so good and to emulate those who do great and become better and better. And that is what you and I should do. Israel's rejection of Jesus Christ did not thwart God's plan. On the contrary, the Lord used Israel's disobedience to accomplish his own divine objective, which is twofold. Have you ever wondered what it is? It's right here in chapter 11, verse 11 to verse 24. His plan was twofold. Number one, the first part of his plan was through their disobedience to bring salvation to the Gentile world. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. You and I know and understand who the Savior is as a Gentile person because Israel was disobedient, if you can believe that. Secondly, God, in his plan of their disobedience, is going to use you and me to entice the Jews back to him as they become jealous of our faith in their Messiah. I ask you, I ask you very seriously, do you make others jealous of your walk with Jesus Christ? Do you realize that is a, one of the first and foremost purposes of your life as a believer, to make others jealous? In other words, not to live in a, a disobedient state, but rather to be obedient unto the Lord. The very ones of whom the kingdom was intended, Israel, is hindered because of their disobedience. There's something very important for us to learn from this lesson about obedience, for that matter. In John chapter 14, verse 15, don't need to look it up. It's a very quick verse. Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, and I could ask you a question. I asked last night, and I, I, I raised my hand, and so everybody started to raise their hand, and I felt really embarrassed about that. I'm not asking you to, to, mention, to raise your hand, but if you love the Lord, if you love the Lord, then he says you're to do something. You know what it is? What? That's it. Charlie's right. If you love me, he says, then keep my commandments. In other words, be obedient. I mean, how many of us as parents understand that principle? To represent us as, as a, a child of ours, to, to be someone that, that is obedient to, 
the very essence of what the family is all about. If you love me, Jesus Christ says, you'll keep my commandments. And so this whole idea of us walking with Christ is a, is a day-by-day, I don't want to say ritual, but I want to say it's a day-by-day, I can't think of a better word, habit that you have. That's why in, in my life, I've told you this before, my watch beeps every hour, right? My, my, this one doesn't, but the watch that I normally wear beeps every hour. This one was given to me on my 75th birthday by someone here in this church that I love very dearly, and so I'm wearing it in, in memory of that person. But it doesn't beep every hour. Normally I wear a watch that beeps every hour. You know why? You, I told you many times. Not to tell me what time it is, it's, a, it's my reminder of, of am I walking with Jesus Christ? And I am shocked sometimes. I am utterly shocked how far I go astray in just one lousy hour. But when the watch beeps, it, I come back to my senses and I think, Lord, forgive me. Let me walk with you. It's my daily reminder. And I, I have many other reminders, things that on my computer, like little things. It's, I, it, I actually do drive myself a little crazy because when I bold something, it means something for somebody. And when I underline something, I, I just, and it reminds me of people all day long. It reminds me of you and our church and, and to pray for us. And I want to walk with the Lord. I want to be a person that keeps His commandments. I want you to be that person. And the reason we are to walk in that manner is to make others jealous. The word make jealous in the Greek carries the idea of having a, a purpose and having a, 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 a something that we are to do. It is a, an almost like a command. Make them jealous. Have a purpose in why you live. And so I ask you, how can someone be jealous of, of someone who who's disobedient unto the Lord, obstinate in their walk with Jesus Christ. God expects you and me to walk obediently with Him. Now, although jealousy, I'll give you this, is a negative term, God's intention was for Israel to be jealous of the salvation that was given to you and to me. Our salvation was to be a positive stimulus to draw people back to Him, our God. Since Israel's lack of faithfulness did not bring salvation to the Gentiles, that was the first command. Go, Abram, into the world, you and all of your descendants, and bless the people that you come in contact with. And they did not do that. If you remember Jonah, remember, uh, was it Jonah that, 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 that was supposed to go to Nineveh? And what did he want to do? Did he want to go to Nineveh? You know why he didn't want to go to Nineveh? He hated them. They were Gentile people. He didn't want to have anything to do with them. And so he jumped on a boat and went the other direction. The Lord, you know what happened. He went in this the great fish, spit him up on the shore of Nineveh. And then he saved. God saved through Jonah all the people in Nineveh. And, Nineveh. and Jonah became angry that he did that. He said, I knew you were going to save him. He didn't want to. In their in their disobedience. God used Israel's failure to be obedient to accomplish what he still desired. Think about that. It's an important lesson to learn right here, right now. 
if you realize this, you need to, whether you realize it or not, God is going to fulfill His purpose on this earth with or without us. He doesn't need us. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to use me so that He can bless us. That's His purpose, to bless us in our obedience. I mean, don't you understand with your own children, when you ask them to do something, they're obedient, what do you want to do? Do you want to give them more? you want to treat them kinder? That's what God wants to do with you and me. Therefore, it will be your choice and my choice to be obedient and receive all the blessings that God has to, for us or to walk in disobedience and miss the blessings that God has for us. Therefore, it should be the desire of every single one of us who is here this morning to live such a life so as to draw Jew and Gentile alike to belief in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I ask you again, does your lifestyle make others jealous of your faith? Does it make them desire to walk with Christ with you or like you? Let's move on, verse 12 through verse 24. It's kind of a a quick finish, but we'll be done in time. It says, if their transgression, talking about Israel, if their transgression is riches for the world, in other words, their failure is riches for the Gentiles, in other words, their disobedience moved over to us and we got all their blessings. How much more, Paul writes, will their fulfillment be? In other words, how much more will God bless the world when Israel comes back to trust in Him? And as I say to you, for an appointed period of time, God has put them in a state of stupor. Their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear. Not all of them, but for the most part. So if in your and my disobedience, God will still use us how much more will He use you and me in our obedience? We've got to walk faithfully with Christ, folks. It's got to be our purpose. And nobody can make you. Nobody. It's your choice to walk with Him or not. But you will bless this church abundantly if you walk faithfully unto the Lord. Verses 13, 14, and 15, Paul is saying as much in these three very beautiful verses. He says, I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of you, the Gentiles, I'm going to magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen, Israel, and save some of them. Because, he says, if their rejection is a reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now that's a, that's a great statement, life from the dead. Life from the dead, Paul is speaking about their spiritual life, not, not the resurrection, not, not when we go to be in glory in heaven. He is talking about this life that you and I have, this new life that we have in Christ. This is our spiritual life, our living obediently unto the Lord, which ties in to the rest of this, this, this place in Scripture, verses 16 to 21. It's a stern warning Paul is giving to us. And he's using this, if you would, almost like a parable, uh, talking about 
the dough and the root, meaning Jesus Christ, the branches, which was Israel, and the wild oil, I always say oil instead of olive, the wild olive branch, which is the Gentiles. Look what he says. He says, don't be arrogant. He is warning us as Gentiles to stay obedient and not to be like Israel. He says, if, verse 16, let's now read it again with that type of understanding. If the first piece of dough is holy, Jesus Christ, the lump is also Jesus Christ, and the root is holy, Jesus Christ, the branches too. In other words, all that grow out of it will be holy, like he is holy. Be ye holy as I am holy, he says. But if, verse 17, some of the branches were broken off, that's Israel, and you being a wild olive branch, a Gentile, were grafted in among them and become partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree, that's Jesus. Then he says, verse 18, don't be arrogant towards the branches, that's Israel. If you are arrogant, remember, you're not, it is not you who supports the root. The root is the Savior. The root supports us. He is saying, don't be arrogant. What Jesus Christ gave you is a blessing. Then you will say in verse 19, the branches were broken off so that I would be grafted in. Absolutely, he says. That's quite right. They were broken off for their, what? Unbelief. But you, you stand now as grafted in by your faith. Therefore, he says, do not be conceited, but rather fear. In other words, love and respect. Be obedient to what the Lord is asking you to do. Paul, again, makes his point against faith versus not faith, or just faith and faith in Christ alone. There's no middle ground. They were broken off because of their unbelief. You've got all that you have because of your faith. Verse 21 For if God did not spare the natural branches, if he didn't spare Israel, he's not going to spare you either, Gentiles. What Paul is saying to all of us is be careful with your privileged privileged salvation. Don't don't treat it flippantly. Don't become ho-hum about this experience that we have in Christ. At all costs, make your faith so rich and so pure, like my, my friend that always used, when he called me, he would say, does anybody steal your joy? Did you let anybody steal your joy? I talked to him just this week. I, I talked to him just this week. He doesn't tell me that anymore. I remind him of it now. And he says, oh yeah, I used to tell you that. I say, yeah. He was telling me about this uh, concert that Garth Brooks puts on. He, he traveled with Garth Brooks for a couple of years, and that's not important to this message, but I talked to him, and I'm, I'm reminded about my love for Christ because he and I push each other towards this joy that we have in Christ. Find people in your life that help you grow in your faith, help, help you become rich, and in, in, in like every day is a new day, and every day is a, a day that you can express your love for Christ. Find that somewhere. Find it and cultivate it in your life. Don't become complacent In your faith, I beg of you. Paul is saying, be careful. God did not judge Israel because she's so terrible. No, she was disobedient. And therefore, he didn't offer the gospel to us as Gentiles because we're more righteous or that we are more worthy. No, we're all sinners saved by the 
grace of God. And so God is saying, don't judge Israel. In other words, don't be anti-Semitic. Don't, don't judge them or look down upon them. Jesus Christ said it best. One of the first verses I was, actually two verses I was asked to memorize is in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. I was taught by this guy that, that, that every day he would ask me, did you memorize John 13, 34 and 35? He asked me so often that I, I started to memorize it. He says, Jesus is speaking, he says, a new commandment I give to you. That is that you love one another. Now if you ask, how do I love one another? Jesus answers that, says, even as I have loved you, so you should have love for one another. Next verse says, by this, all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's one of the reasons why, not the only, that I tell you I love you every week and mean it from the depth of my soul. I know some people have questioned me about it. Say, you don't even know me. How can you tell me you love me? I don't know. I just love you. That's all I know. A new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you. Love one another. Even as I have loved you, he says, so you should have love for one another. By this, all people are going to know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now watch how our Lord closes this. No, Paul, but he is actually speaking for the Lord. He closes out this section of Scripture, verses 22 to 24, in a very amazing way. He says, Behold then the kindness and the severity of God. The, the very two extremes of God, his kindness and his severity. To those who fell, it was severity. The word severity means P-I-P-T-O. It means to fall down, an extremely serious spiritual condition which people fell from spiritual opportunity into judgment. That's what happened to Israel. They refused to, to trust in their Messiah. They refused the forgiveness of their sin. So they fell into the severity of God. But for you, Gentiles, we are given God's kindness. That's grace. God's unmerited favor. But he puts a caveat to that. If we continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Now, he's not speaking about losing your salvation. The New Testament affirms the reality of true saving faith. It, it speaks of it over and over again, and you need to be aware of it. If you want to know if someone truly is a follower of Jesus Christ, you will know by their continued faithfulness. Their continued faithfulness to the Lord gives true evidence of their genuine conversion. It's the only way you and I will really know. We can only see. God sees our hearts. But we can see by how a person acts and reacts in life. So Paul says, if you continue, otherwise you'll be cut off. When Jesus spoke to the believing Jews of his day, in John chapter 8, verse 31, he said these words, If you continue in my word, then you will be truly disciples of mine. Some of them didn't. Some of them fell away. On the other hand, what the Lord says in verse 23 is, they, meaning Israel, also, if they do not continue in unbelief, 
they will be grafted back into the tree. For God is able to graft them in again. In other words, God's not through with Israel. And if you and I fall short, He's not through with you or me either. That's why He wrote 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's never going to be through with you or me. He's asking for you and me to come back. Let's close with this thought. What is your purpose? What is the reason you and I are alive today? I'll tell you exactly what it is from this place in Scripture. It is to faithfully continue to walk with Jesus Christ so as to make other people jealous of our faith. So that they want to know and to love the Lord whom you know and you love. And also to move them to walk with Christ faithfully, consistently, joyfully. What a great way to go into the Christmas season, I think. To really set our hearts, to really uh, to want to love the Lord with all of our hearts, our soul, and our mind. And to walk into Christmas fully in love with the baby that was born in the manger, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a great, great place in Scripture to me. I hope it is to you as well. It's a warning, but it's a good one. Father, help us to understand uh, the importance of our walk with you, that we will not become uh, flippant uh, with what you have so graciously given to us. And as you mentioned, not to be arrogant about it, but to walk with you, Father, as, as faithfully as possible, as obediently as possible. And, and in so doing, Father, if by the grace of God you might allow us to make someone jealous of our faith, that they would want to know the Savior that we know, what a blessing that would be to lead another person to Christ. So, Father, would you please bless us as we go from here? Whatever it is that you have to do with us today, I pray you'll bless us in it. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.